If you have your Bibles tonight, why don't you open up to the book of Acts. Tonight we're going to be uh, starting in chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 11. So Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We'll read that and pray here in just a few moments. Um, before we do, I want to read you just a quick story um, as we get into the sermon. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, this man would return walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October of 1942, this man, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur, who was stationed in New Guinea at the time, but um, there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie and his companions on the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, they became lost at sea, beyond the reach of radio, Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane into the ocean. And for nearly a month, Captain Rickenbacker and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun, and they spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their raft. The largest raft was a 9 by 5 The biggest shark was over 10 feet long. Would that not be a little unnerving? <laughs> but of all the enemies at sea, one proved most formidable, which was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water, and and it would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle is exactly what occurred. Captain Rickenbacker told a story like, like this. He said, something landed on my head, and I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, but I just knew, and everyone else knew too. No one said a word, but peering under, my, under the hat of my brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at the seagull because the seagull meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the seagull. Its flesh was eaten, its intestines were used for bait to catch fish, and the survivors were sustained and all their hopes renewed because of one lone seagull uncharacteristically hundred miles from, hundreds of miles from land offered itself as a sacrifice to save those men. And we know that Captain Eddie made it, and now you also know that he never forgot because every Friday evening about sunset on a lowly stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you can see this old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the seagulls to remember that one which in a long day past gave itself without a struggle. Isn't that interesting? I read a quote this week that, I, that, I, that really kind of just, just stuck out to me. And it said this, and it was by a man named Jeffrey Arthur. He said, if we have no memory, we are adrift. Because memory anchors us to the past, it interprets our present and charts the course for our future. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. You know, as Christians, um, there are many things that keep us from being the people that, that God wants us to be. In my own life in particular, there are two that I have struggled with immensely throughout the course of my life. And as I mention these two, maybe um, you will uh, maybe identify just a little bit with what I'm talking about. Uh, the first one of my problems that I have is I far too often find myself not remembering like I should. 
Not like losing my memory, but, but not intentionally remembering, remembering the, the, the amazing gift of grace that I've been given in Christ Jesus that has absolutely and completely transformed who I am. It's transformed my life. I am where I am today because of him, not because of me. Like, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about, boy, where would I be without Jesus? Had he not come into my life, had he not begun that transformation in my life, where would I be? I don't know about you, but it's a scary thought when I think of it because I know me. Like, I, I know the real me. I know the, the struggles that I deal with, the temptation that I face each and every day. And, and the thought of facing those things without Christ as Savior, without the power of the Spirit of God in me to say no, I tell you what, I would be an absolute mess. And I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we probably we all fall into that category to an extent. That's my first problem. And, and my second big problem is that I find myself far too distracted far too often. Sometimes, unfortunately, that distraction comes because I've let sin creep into my life in some different area. Uh, many times I'm distracted because simply I'm just busy. Anybody else have that problem, just trying to keep up with the crazy pace of life? And, and I'm distracted because of that. Many times I'm distracted because of all the noise in the world, just of all the, the stuff that's going on and, the, and the, the things that we see and hear around us each and every day. And many times I'm distracted simply because I'm so focused on my own needs that I'm not looking out of my eyes and seeing the needs of the people that God has placed right in front of me. And because of my distractions, what I have found in life is that I have, I know I have missed opportunities to, to minister to people that God's put right in front of me because of my distractions. I'm, I'm far too often blinded so much so that I don't see um, the people that God puts in my life. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, and just, like, ask yourself and wonder, like, how many opportunities have I missed to, to minister to somebody, to, to tell somebody about Jesus, to, to meet somebody's need if, if I wasn't just so darn distracted? If I wasn't so distracted, what, what, could I, what could I do in people's life? Like how many hurting people have I missed? How many people that are just like desperately looking for hope that I just walk by and not even see? How many people has God put on my life that he has called me to share the message of Jesus with, and yet I'm so distracted by my own life that I didn't take time to care for those people that he put right in front of me? You know what's interesting about those two problems is they are uniquely connected. Like the one greatly affects the other. Like if we would take time like every morning to wake up and just remember the amazing gift of grace that God's given us in Christ. Like, just take time to, to remember and to think back like, man, God, you have changed me. You, you, have, you have set my feet on solid ground. You have changed my life. You have given me a new life. You have given me a new hope. What if we would just think about that? That we, that we literally as Christians have passed from death to life. We have hope not just for today, but hope for tomorrow all the way into eternity. Why? All because of a person whose name was Jesus, who willingly laid down his life to save all of us. What if we took time to remember that every day? Do you think it would change our perspective? Like, do you think that it would change how we deal with temptation and sin? Like, maybe sin would become a little more repulsive if we reminded ourselves every day that that's why Jesus had to die. Or maybe we would be reminded of that person that took the time out of their busy life and their busy schedule to see us and to see a person that needed to hear about Christ 
and actually took the time and was bold enough to step out and tell us. Like, do you think maybe it would change our perspective just a little bit to give us a little more focus on, on seeing the people that God maybe has put right in front of us? Again, that, that quote that just sticks in my mind, if we have no memory, we're adrift because memory anchors us to the past, interprets our present, and charts the course for our future. And I'm just convinced that if we will remember the grace of God in the past when He saved us, it will interpret our present as Christians and chart the course of even our priorities as Christians as we move into the future. Like an old man and the seagulls, if we will remember the one who gave His life for us, maybe just maybe, it would prompt us each day to, to, to live a life that's bringing an offering and honor back to the one who gave his life for us. You know, today as we think about our, our passage of Scripture we're about to read, it's no doubt that, that Jesus, who called Peter and John out of just a normal life to do something incredible, uh, who, who, who took them and, and saved them and, and, and gave them true life, that they now saw life with a different perspective and, and the man that they saw begging on the side of the road, maybe before they'd have been just like everybody else and, and walked by or maybe just throwing some change in and completely ignored him. And yet, because their life was changed, they took the time to, to see the man for who he was. Let's go ahead and read them. Then we'll pray and, and dig into it. So starting here in chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to be reading the first 11 verses. It says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a, la- a man lame from birth was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could, be- he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. And then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate. They were astonished. They were astonishingly astounded, excuse me. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much again just for this opportunity we have to be here today. God, this book we hold in our hands, Father, is... It's what shows us what following you is all about. It helps us to see exactly what you want from us, exactly what you've done for us. It shows us what living a righteous life looks like. And and God, it shows us the way to become more like Jesus. God, your word, you call us to be holy as you're holy. And, And Father, that's our desire tonight is that we would leave this place changed. Looking more like our Savior, more like Jesus than the moment we walked in. God, you know what everybody has going on in their life. Father, you know every, every, every person as an individual, Lord God, and whatever it is they need to hear tonight, I pray you would speak. Holy Spirit, just take over the service and be glorified as we um, just dig into this passage. And I just pray that, that you would be glorified in it all. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we get here into chapter 3, this is following obviously chapter 2 where we just saw the Holy Spirit do an incredible work. 5,000 people, um, 3,000 people, excuse me, came to faith just 
like that in, in one moment. And the, the days following that as they met together and prayed together and, and worshiped together daily, the Lord was adding to their number. So literally by this time, the church was in the thousands of, of people. And one day we see here in verse 1 of chapter 3, Peter and John together were um, walking into the, the temple, temple for afternoon prayer. Some of your Bibles say the ninth hour. The ninth hour in, in Jewish terms is, is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And this was normal. Like they, w- they would pray at 9, noon, and 3 o'clock. And so this was just kind of a normal custom for the Jewish people to go into the temple. And, and Peter and John, obviously, prayer was a big part of their lives. And so they too went into the temple at the um, ninth hour or 3 o'clock. Um, I mean, they didn't have to go, but, but they did. And I, I just couldn't help but wonder, like, why did they go at this hour? Why did they hit the morning one or the, the lunchtime one, right? Why did they go at 3 o'clock? And again, this is just total, total speculation, but that, that ninth hour was special. And it would have been special to Peter, to, to John, who was there when this happened. But at the ninth hour, and John would have seen this in person, it's when Christ was up on the cross, when, when he said it is finished and breathed his last. Um, were they going there to, to remember that? I don't know, but they were definitely going in there at this particular time to pray together. And, and as they went in, in, in verse 2, we see that as he approached the temple, this man who was lame from birth, and um, we're going to see as we get into verse 22, next week or the week after, whenever we get there, um, that, that, this, that this man, was at, he'd actually been for over 40 years from birth. So this man was over 40 years old, and he hadn't been able to walk since he was born. And it says that, that people would bring him, and they would put him beside this gate that was called the Beautiful Gate. Now, the reason it was called the Beautiful Gate, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, is because um, this temple was said to have been made of fine Corinthian brass with, with two gates that were 75 feet high. It said it was so beautiful that it actually was more beautiful than even the gates that were covered in gold and silver. And so it was kind of the nickname for it. But these people, would, would, whether it was his friends or his family, whoever it was, they would bring him and set him beside this gate for one purpose, to collect alms or to collect charity from the people, right? I mean, obviously, if you were lame and, and a cripple like that, you had no way of going to work. You had no way of supporting yourself. And so they would sit there by this gate and ask people for money. And because um, uh, the, the Jewish people, it, it was a very religious, if you will, religion at this particular time for the ones that weren't Christians, uh, because they were kind of a, a, just a, 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 a pious people, a very religious, devoted culture, this is one they would show their devotion to God is like, you see what I did, God? I gave some coin to the poor guy. And they would go in and they would bring their prayers and, and everything to the Lord. So for a cripple like that, it just was a really, really good spot to be. This is where if people are going to give money, that's where you need to go because they're going to church. And before they go into church, they want to make sure that they're impressed with the big man. And, and so here you go, right? It was, that was kind of the mindset, if you will, when it comes to the people that were sitting there. Now, what's interesting about the way people would have viewed him, not just as some lame beggar, but if you remember back in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 9, Jesus um, went to heal this man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked like, this really interesting question. It's John chapter 9 and verse 2. They said, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? And so people like this, they were considered in that culture almost to be cursed of God. Like somebody must have did something for them to have such a bad stock in life, right? Um, and so if you can kind of just picture the way people viewed this man, it really wouldn't have been a very easy life 
to live. Certainly nobody would want to, would have wanted to be him. So in verse 3, when, when Peter and John were about to enter, it says that, that he, he asked them for money. And then in verse 4, this just stuck, this really stuck out to me that, that Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. Who's ever been like to the city and, and seen beggars sitting like by a light pole on the side of the road or, or, or whatever? Do you notice something about most of them? Like they won't look you in the eye. It's, it's mostly like one of, one of these things with the sign. They're almost hiding their face behind it, whether it's out of embarrassment or whether it's out of shame or whatever it is, like they don't want to be seen. And, and to be honest, the vast majority of people that, that, that give, it's like one of these. They drop it, they do their charitable, charitable deed, and they walk by, but they never really see them. Like, I have a suspicion that this is pretty much what this guy had been dealing with his entire life. For decades, you know, this, uh, this man, was, it was the only life that he knew. Just an outcast in society, like how many people had walked by him, but never really saw him. Never saw the man inside, never saw the individual soul for who he was, never saw his hurt, never saw his pain. He was just a charity case that people would drop a few coins in and walk by, and yet not with Peter and John. Like, this was different because they, they, they looked at him, they stopped, they saw him, and they even said, look at me. Look at us in the eye. We see you. Now, how often do we take the time to see people? Like, to really, really see him, see them, where we, where we look past the facade, we look past the shell of what's going on on, on the outside, and take time to really see what's going on the inside of that person that they're in front of us. See, Peter and John could have just thrown a few coins and then kind of walked by without ever speaking. Um, they could have been like, you know, we got things going on. We have stuff going on. We're going to get our prayer time. I mean, he, he's been here every day. He'll be here tomorrow. Maybe we'll give him something then. But they, they, they didn't do that. You know, how many times do we avoid people just because it's not a convenient time to help? Or how many times do we look at people in situations and then kind of judge them before we really have any idea what's really going on in their lives? And I'm as guilty as the rest of you, I'm just saying. Like how many times have we seen the person on the street corner in Rockford, a young person, you know, able to work and be like, why don't you just get a job? I mean, it's not that it's not true in some cases, but how do we know? Like, the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover, we, we really have no idea what's going on in the lives of people. And yet so often we, we judge based on what we just see on the outside. But maybe, maybe let's take this for like a different route for just a second. You know, there's people all around us right now that are hurting. People all around us that are depressed. People all around us that are greatly confused, searching for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. Most often, the people that are dealing with those things, like we never see the real issue. We, we see what's going on on the outside, and, and so often it's easy to judge without really seeing. Like, how, how often do we take time to, to ask ourselves, like, why is that person in the situation that they are? Or how often do we take time to see why people act the way they do, why people dress the way they do, instead of just judging them based on what we see. 
like the young teenager that's dressed up, dressed up in, in, in the goth, black clothes, black hair, lipstick, eyeshadow. You look at them and go, what in the world? But why are they expressing themselves like that? You ever thought about that? Like what's going on in their life that they would feel the need to, to be that way? Or the, the people with tattoos and piercings all over their bodies or those boys that are dressed up as girls and girls dressed up as boys. Like how many of those people do we really take time to see or do we find, instead our, find ourselves instead like judging them or making fun of them? Do, every, do we ever just take the time to see them instead of trying to avoid them because we don't want to deal with it? You ever thought about what, what doors would open for conversation if we just took the time to just get to know somebody like that? Just to see what it is that's going on in their life. You know, believe it or not, not every kid that grows up grows up in a, in a two-parent Christian household where they're provided for and loved and disciplined and taught about God and, and, and brought to church. Many of the kids we see today in our schools and, and, and around, they act the way they do, dress the way they do, and are warped in the mind as they are because, generally speaking, they have few or none of those things. Like, like how many of the kids that we see acting like the way they do today have been completely abandoned or abused by those who were supposed to love them the most? Is it really that surprising that kids act the way they do when their only indoctrination is what they get from Hollywood or TikTok or video games? Is it any surprise that, that kids are confused today when they're constantly being taught that up is down, right is left, black is white? Is it any surprise that kids act the way they do when all they're being taught is division? You're oppressed, you're an oppressor. Is it any surprise that kids are confused today when they're being brought up in a world where they're being taught that there is no absolute truth? That everything's subjective to how you feel. Where they're being taught that they're nothing more than a byproduct of evolutionary decay. Is it any surprise that kids are confused when they're being sexualized from early adolescence in a grossly perverted view of sexuality at that? Is it really any mystery that, that people grow up and have no value for human life, even the most innocent life? Is it really any surprise when culture and society has never really valued them? Like what about all these kids that are growing up in this society without being fortunate enough to have Christian parents who love and support them and teach them biblical truth? Kids who have never had anyone truly to love them and see them for who they are. Have we ever stopped to consider that kids that act that way, they act that way because they're confused, because they're hurt, because they're scared in some way? Have we ever stopped to consider how many of these kids are depressed? Kids that are on the edge of ending their lives, acting out the way they do because they're just screaming on the inside for somebody just to see them. To see the hurt, to see the need they have. And yet how tempting it is for us to look at people like this and completely just dismiss them because of what we see in the exterior because we never stop and take the time to see what's going on on the inside. And as true as that is with the kids these days, just don't forget that that's been going on for a long time and those kids grow up to be the adults 
that are doing the same things in society. So maybe instead of being annoyed by the way people look or annoyed by their political views or avoiding people that don't look like this, what if we started taking the time to to see them? What doors could God open for us to minister to people like that? See, Peter and John could have just walked by that guy and dismissed him just like everybody else. And yet they didn't. They took the time to stop and to see that person. Now, in verse 5, it says the lame man looked up eagerly expecting money. And so they're like, look at me. So maybe they're thinking like, wow, this guy's serious. He's different than the rest of them. I wonder how much he's going to give me. I wonder, man, will this, will this keep me off the street for a couple weeks, right? But, but Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold for you. You ever read something like that and like wonder, like, did he have like this dramatic pause for like effect? He's looking up like in anticipation and Peter's like, I have no silver and gold. And the guy's just like, see his shoulders dropping? But... What I do have is far better. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I mean, put yourself in that guy's shoes like, right. That sounds real easy. I'm over 40 years old. I've been like this since I knew better. And yeah, okay, get up and walk. And yet Peter looked down, looked the man in the eyes, put out his hand, took his hand and he, and he, and he said he, he raised the man up and his feet and his ankles were instantly healed, instantly strengthened. You know something that's interesting about the Christian life? There are going to be times in our life where we run into people whose faith needs a helping hand. You know what I mean by that? Meaning mature Christians that need to come alongside of people that maybe aren't even Christians yet or maybe Christians that aren't really bold enough yet to do things, there are times I think where the, the faith of a strong Christian needs to come alongside of, of somebody else to help them up, to help them in, in, in their faith, like, like this, right? Some people might be scared to walk into church on their own, but, but what if somebody invited them and said, you know what, I'm going to come pick you up and I'm going to bring you to church? Do you think that would help? I think so. Or maybe what about in, instead of just sharing the gospel with somebody like, Jesus died for your sins, he rose again from the dead, and you need to give your life to him, be saved, and call out the name of Jesus. Bye. Or how about we took the time and like to really explain it to them and, and maybe sit there and get to know them and, and answer some questions and, and maybe apply some of the things to their situation directly. How, how different do you think that would affect them? Or, or, or maybe God has, you know, He's put broken people or hurting people in our lives and he's called to take them by the hand and help lift them up out of their situation. Or, or maybe the Christian that, that's scared to share their faith. Maybe a, a more mature Christian could take them with and say, let me show you how it's done. Sometimes we need to help other people in their faith journey. But anyway, so Peter took this man by the hand. He stood up, instantly healed. What happens next? Verse 8, he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk, and then leaping, and and walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. In verse 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. Can we agree that this man's ankles and feet weren't the only thing that was probably healed that day? I mean, this man's life was absolutely changed, and I think the greatest healing he received that day wasn't physically, but spiritually. He went from a man who was helpless and without hope to a man whose entire life was changed. He went from this depressed beggar who had been cast aside by society to a man who couldn't keep his praise in. Like when he, when he, when he was going into the temple like that, he was Peter, I mean, he was like, 
Praise God, I can walk. No! Do you think that man was praising God at the top of his lungs? Like, wah! You know, I mean, like, something has totally changed in me. I can walk. I mean, it, it was, he was totally and completely changed. And again, I'm sure he was not just changed on the outside, but changed on the inside as well. And, and as I was thinking about this, I was like, when's the last time we got that excited about what God's done in our life? You know, in a lot of ways, this story should resonate with all of us if we really understood our condition before we came to Jesus because in many ways, that lame beggar represents us. See, there, there was a point in all of our lives where we were also hopeless and helpless, much like this man was, and yet we were in a way that was far worse off than he. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that we were people who were without God and without hope. And we have no way to fix it. How is a person lost in sin, condemned by God, with God's wrath and judgment pouring down on him because of their sin? How can they fix that themselves? How do they take care of that themselves? Especially when verses like Isaiah 64 and verse 6, we're all infected, we're all impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're but to God like filthy rags. Like the most righteous, pure thing we could do on our own, it can't fix our lostness. There's no amount of good deeds a person could do to ever earn their way into God's good graces, to earn their way into heaven. We were all people separated from God because of our sins with no hope of fixing our situation on our own. Like a blind man or a lame beggar, we were in a hopeless situation with no way out. And not only that, because of our sins, we were far worse off than that beggar was because we were destined for hell with no way of escape. That was all of our situations at one point. Our only hope is that someone would step in and come to our aid and praise God that King Jesus did just that. The Son of God stepped out of heaven to come to earth as a man. Why? For one purpose, to go to a cross and die for our sins to be buried and rise again, to defeat death, to defeat sin, to defeat it all and open the door in he- to heaven so we could be saved. That's why Jesus came. He did it for you and for me. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly died. He willingly left heaven. He left all those splendors, all the glory of heaven. Why? For you and me. For our sins, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. And like, if you're a person that has been changed by him, like, There's been a point in your life where you've called out to him and said, I am a sinner. I need you, Jesus. I need what you did on that cross to count for me. You come into my life. Will you be my Lord? Will you be my Savior? Will you give me the grace to begin to live for you? See, a person who has done that, there has been an absolute change that's taken place in your life. You've passed from death to life. You were a person without hope, and now you have an eternal hope in him. And the best part of it is it's not based on how good we can be from that point on. It's all based upon what Christ Jesus did upon that cross 2,000 years ago when he paid that sin for us. And now we rest in the promise of, of what he did. Ain't that good news? Who, who, who still messes up? Aren't you glad it's not dependent upon you? I mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try, obviously. We don't sin on purpose just to lean on the grace of God. That's dumb, as Paul says. 
the, most, the greatest foolishness, foolishness that there is. No, we, we try with, with everything in us to live a life that, that honors him and pleases him because of what he did. But like when we think about those things, shouldn't, shouldn't something inside of us just want to scream praise to God? Like, man, look at what you've done for me. I mean, we should be the ones wanting to jump and dance and sing if we really truly understood it. See, as excited as this beggar was, we should be all the more excited that we've been given a far bigger gift than the ability to walk. Now, as we go back to our scripture here in verses 10 and 11, so when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded, as I'm sure we all would have been. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where this man was holding tightly to Peter and to John. What was Solomon's colonnade? Solomon's colonnade was, um, was essentially the, this place where they, they would come in. And it was just like this beautiful thing. With, it was kind of named after Solomon, and there was all kinds of giant pillars everywhere. And it was just kind of a part of the temple, and that's kind of where they were at. But, uh, but, but they, these people that had just walked by this beggar, that had probably walked by this beggar a hundred times, they're like, that's that guy? What, 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 just, what just happened there? I mean, do you think that that would have like been a moment where they just went, what? Oh, I think so. Do you think maybe that moment had an impact on their life? Oh, I think so. And we're going to see just how much that was next week as we kind of get into the rest of that passage but as I was thinking about that, I'm just like, you know, what could happen if God put this person in our life and we just reached one person? How big of an impact could reaching one person have in this world? I want to read something else. This is just a really cool story. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you haven't. Anybody heard of a man named Edward Kimball? If not... Rest assured, because most, everybody, most nobody's ever heard of this man's name. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for his hyper boys in his class, but also sought to win each one of them to the Lord personally. He decided he would be intent, intentional with every single last one of them, and, and surely he thought about throwing in the towel at times. Uh, if, if you had ever taught um, the Bible to young boys, you know um, that that experience can often be like herding cats. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, and so Kimball went to um, the shoe store where this young man was stocking shelves and was um, explaining to him the importance of a relationship with Christ, and that young man's name was D.L. Moody. In the stockroom, touched by, on that Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and in his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins, because under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, the man named Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands, and one day a professional baseball player had a day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings, and thus a man named Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became a part of Chapman's team, and then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. 
Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham, and he was also he was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets advertising his meetings. And when Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he was never, ever going to go hear this man preach. But this man, Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go, and, and Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house full of ill repute, um, a, a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school, and that many of the male students were skipping lunch to go visit that house across the street. And when students decided to go interrupt the meeting of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided that he would go and see what, would hap- what, what was happening. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation of the gospel and was converted. And Billy Frank, eventually known as the man who is, we know as Billy Graham, the evangelist, preached to more people than any other person who probably has ever lived. All because one man, Edward Kimball, took the time to reach one man. What could happen if we reach one person? Only God knows. Only God knows. Now, also notice this. The man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Do you think that he had an appreciation for Peter and John for what they had just did? I mean, if I had to guess, like, they probably never forgot his faces, their, their faces as long as he lived. I'm sure Peter and John's faces were cemented in this man's mind forever. And I have a feeling that based on the way he responded with praise to God, he also recognized more importantly that the one who was truly behind this change was Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth, the Son of God who died for his sins. Now, as we think about what Jesus has done in our life, shouldn't we cling to him as much as this man clinged to Peter and John? Like, what caused this lame beggar who is now healed to cling to Peter and John the way that he did? And I think the answer is simple, gratitude. They had changed his life, and he couldn't be more thankful. You know, Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2 says this, let, us all, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. Can I tell you something? Gratitude is a powerful thing. People who have it will live a life of appreciation to the one who is Bless them. A person who has internalized the grace of God and has true gratitude is a person who is just, is just content. Just content being with that person. Jesus. See, if we really get what's been done for us, just the fact that we can call Jesus our own should be enough. And yet so often what happens is that we're more attached to the blessings of Jesus than we are to Jesus himself. You know, this man was begging. Peter and John told him, silver and gold have I none. I mean, can you imagine if the beggar, like after he was healed and everything else was like, now about that money, And yet, don't we fall into that trap when it comes to our walk with God? I mean, we've already been given the greatest gift possible, a gift that's changed our eternity, and yet, 
when God doesn't give us what we think we deserve or something that we've asked for, so often we're, at least in my life, I've pouted. I've given God the cold shoulder. How dare you not give me what I want? I love the way Tony Evans put this. He says, the lame man asked for what he wanted. He was about to receive what he needed. Don't settle for what you want from God when God meets your needs. He may not give you what you asked for, but what he provides will always be greater than what you wanted. I just love that. Like, like what if we were asking God for something, but if he was to say yes, that something would inhibit us from us doing what he's called us to do. Like, what if God answering yes would send us in the opposite direction of where he's pointing us? You know, we all pray for God's blessing, for his protection, for his mercy, for good things to happen in our lives, but what if, what if God knows that what we need is a trial through the fires of life for a little while? Would we accept that? If we're truly in love with the blessing giver and not just the blessings, we can walk through those, through those things with joy because we still have him. See, what really answers whether we're more in love with Jesus or just what Jesus offers is how we respond when things don't go our way. Let, let Jesus be the, the greatest treasure of your life, not the silver and gold that he sometimes gives. And I will say this, just because God doesn't answer in the way that we want today doesn't mean he's never going to. Many times with God, it's just a timing issue. Like, have you ever thought about this? This, this lame beggar, he's over 40 years old. He had been there day after, I mean, for a long time, day after day after day after day. You think maybe just maybe Jesus walked by him at one time? More than likely. And yet he didn't heal him. Why? Because if he would have healed him then, Peter and John wouldn't have had the opportunity to heal him in our story here. And the thousands of people that are going to come to faith in Christ that we talked about, we're going to talk about next week, that wouldn't have happened either. See, God's timing is always perfect and we need to trust him. Now, as I close, I started this message off today talking about two things that often cause me problems. One is not remembering the gift of grace that I've been given in Christ. And the second is being too distracted. But if, if we have no memory, we're adrift because memory anchors us to the past, interprets our present, charts a course for our future. But boy, if we would just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we would just every day make a point to remember all that he has been given us, that he's given to us, the change that has happened in our life, if we'll just take time to remember, I think it'll change our other problem with distraction. Because the more eyes are on Jesus, the less our eyes are going to be on ourselves. The less our eyes are on ourselves, the more our eyes are going to be on his kingdom. The more our eyes, our eyes are on his kingdom, what here's, going to, here's what's going to happen. We're going to begin to, to have his ears and his eyes. We're going to start seeing the people that he's placed right in front of us. So what do we do with all this? Boy, remember. Remember where you've come from. Remember the light that, that the Lord has saved you out of and never, ever forget. Start there. Secondly, make yourself available. Don't be so caught up in the busyness of life that you're like a horse with blinders not seeing anything that God's doing around you. Make yourself available. Ask God to make you aware. 
literally in your prayer time every day, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears. Let me see the people, God, you're putting in front of me, and then give me the boldness to act, Lord, when you do. And I'll say this, be empathetic. Ask God to make you more empathetic. And this is what this means. It's trying to start seeing people's issues from their perspective. Not just seeing the facade on the outside, but try to, to really see them and ask yourself what it is that they're going through. What questions might they have? And most importantly all, of all, rely on the power of Jesus Christ that's within you. Can I tell you something? One of the most important nuggets of this story is it wasn't Peter and John's power that did this. They were just an obedient servant that had the power of God in them and they released that power to that man. Friends, we have the same Holy Spirit in us as Peter and John had in them. God can still move in amazing ways through his people today because he still dwells and lives within us. Let's never forget it. Let's walk in that power and let's be used of God that we can reach this world for him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we've had tonight to be here. Thank you for your word. God, not a lot more needs to be said other than God give us eyes to see. We're all busy. We all have crazy, chaotic lives, God. We all get distracted by the noise that's going on in the world. But God, give us eyes to see. Help us to see the people you've placed right in front of us, Lord. And give us the boldness to act when, you, when we see them. And step out in faith and minister to them. Share the gospel with somebody, whatever that looks like. Give us the grace, dear God, to be your hands and feet. And Heavenly Father, if there's anybody in this place that has never made a decision to follow Christ, if they have any question whatsoever about their eternal state, God, let them respond tonight. Father, you've made the gospel so simple. Jesus did all the work. He already came. He already died. He already rose again. He's sitting today, as your word says, at your right hand, <laughs> alive and well. And yet all your word says is this. We need to respond in faith. We need to respond in faith by, by asking the Lord to forgive us of our sins, to, to save us, for Jesus to come into our life and to, and to be our Lord and Master. God, I pray Lord God, tonight, that if anybody's never made that decision, God, that they will make that decision. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close, we're going to stand and sing um, just a song of invitation. And if the Lord's spoken to you,